Welcome to the Theology on Mission podcast, not Theology and Mission, as if they're two different things we smashed together, but the Theology on Mission, coming to you from Chicago, situated here at Northern Seminary. I'm sitting here with Dave Fitch, as usual. Hopefully in the future we'll be inviting guests, but this is only our second podcast, so we're just going to keep moving forward. We got the first one out of the way. Hopefully we learned some things. I was super organized. You, you were me. super organized. You ridiculed me one. for being organized, so we're going to play it loose on this one. We just got we got a little thing here. We're just going to see how it goes. So I hope you're ready, Dave. I hope you all who are listening are ready. Today we're talking about from in here to out there. From in here, what you mean by uh, like church services, church programs, to out there on mission. So tell us a story. Set up this. Right, right. Uh, so the idea here is uh, how do we lead people? Uh, who are used to doing church in here, in the traditional programs of the church, the worship, discipleship of the church, you know, worship gathering, you know, everything that goes into doing that to actually serving out in the neighborhood in mission. And uh, so I was in this uh, oral uh, review a couple days ago for our doctoral program here, and um, we came to this realization that um, one would think that leading people who serve in the functions of the church in here, let's say they lead the worship gathering on Sunday morning, they lead worship, they put together the various things that help people, like, say, uh, do packets of seeds to desperate places all over, the, all over the world to help them grow gardens. They're used to doing programs in here. You would think those people who are used to serving there would also then, when we go to serving in the neighborhood and mission, would naturally serve there. Well, what happened was um, we found out that's not the case. We listened, we heard, we checked out things, we found out that's not the case. The supervisor of the thesis said, I think it's because of ego. I think that uh, people get their ego stoked when they're, when they're serving in front of other people in the community, get recognized by you know preaching or leading the worship or organizing various justice programs inside the church. They don't get their ego it, it, because their work uh, in mission amongst the broken and the hurting people in the neighborhood is not so easily seen. The fruits are not immediately obvious. Uh, their ego is not stoked in the same way. So the supervisor's um, thesis was it's because of ego. The student, the doctoral student said, no, I don't think so. I think it's the value they place on say, the function of the gathering on Sunday morning. They see that as very, very important. The value they place in serving in the neighborhood is less important, so people are motivated to do one over the other. Um, So we have a problem in moving one, uh, a person from serving in here to a person serving out there. If you take the first theory, you're going to work on a person's ego and and kind of submitting oneself to the mission of God. If you're working on the second theory, you're going to fund an imagination for what is significant and of value to God. And is it the worship gathering on Sunday morning or is it what God's doing out in the neighborhood and mission? And so that's that's kind of the debate that happened um, on this doctoral interview. What's your... uh, do you have any insights or opinions on this from your life work at, at Life on the Vine? Wait, you're turning the table on me. I'm supposed to interview you. No, I'm turning the table. Um, yeah, well, I think there, there is a question of value. Um, there's a question of uh, just habit and church practice. And so at Life on the Vine, we spent a lot of time actually cultivating our gathering services and gathering times 
to be training grounds um, for mission out in the world. And so um, we understand all the things that we do together as being preparation for living a life out in front of the world. And so we have, we try to link Sunday morning and other gathering times with the gathering or the, uh, the mission, the sentness part of the week. And so at the end of our service, we have you know, a typical benediction where we send out people and we try to relate that benediction to whatever has happened here on Sunday. What have you heard? What part of the gospel has been proclaimed over us? We now are sent into the world. And so and we actually take the Holy Spirit candles that are on the altar and we put them on um, little pedestals by the doors yeah. so that people get the sense that they're being led by the Spirit in the mission. But then on the front end or on the other side of the service, we have things that we call stories of wonder where we are wondering about what God is, ha- what is doing in our worlds and we're praising God for different things. And we say, just as we've been sent out <coughs> on Sundays, uh, God is at work and now we're going to hear a story about how God has been at work throughout the whole week. And so we try yeah. to link together those different parts of our service so that what happens in one place is preparing. So that's some of the stuff we, some of the now, stuff we try I to always, do. I always thought uh, that I had to as a leader of a missional community, work to change the view of oneself and shift from the consumer self at church to the self in God's mission where one's identity is in God's mission. But um, I also think that this, this requires a funding of a new imagination for what God's doing in the world and a revaluing of what he's doing. In, in people's lives. And that means proclaiming the gospel in a way that people can see God at work in the world, in their lives, and calling them into that again and again and again. So it's interesting because, um, you know, you and I have worked at Life in the Vine for years, and, and uh, I'm seeing the need for that all the time, intensely at our new place here, Peace of Christ in Westmont, Illinois. So... I know for us too, though. So there's a funding of the imagination, which I'm a big fan of, of course. But which is Walter Brueggemann's idea, by the way, in case anybody thinks I'm ripping it off. Um, <clears throat> That's his words. Well, we could go into all the, the, the all the academic stuff about imagination. We could do that another time. But social imaginary. Social Charles Taylor, Taylor is another good author to Paul read on that. Cooler, yeah. Blah blah blah. But um, but with all that in place. There's um, someone in, in our church who is a gifted evangelist, and we're trying to be more um, focused on well, what does proclaiming the gospel or what does witnessing concretely mean? And she keeps coming to the place of, well, do people really have a heart for the lost like God does? And so part of my question for you and for even for myself is, is when we talk about funding the imagination for what God is doing, that should, in principle, change people's hearts to be as compassionate and uh, full of longing for the lost. Um, but I don't know if that always happens. So what do you think? How, are people, do people care about what's happening out there as much as they care about what's happening in here? Is it as well, real and tangible? So this is, the, uh, this is the task, the calling of pastors, plural pastors in local congregations leading their churches into the world because really we need to ask that we need to get people to think about the David Letterman question is this 
anything, you know? I mean, do we know and understand the living presence of Christ in our various settings where we are with people? And then are we paying attention to his presence? And then are we able to proclaim the gospel? And so I think, <clears throat> do we have a heart for the lost? I think some of it is we don't have confidence in the presence that God is present with us and present in the world through Jesus Christ as we go out and are sent out. And I don't think we get the gospel. I was just having this discussion this week about a serious episode with some of the folks we are involved with in Westmont Church. And I said, that's the place for the gospel. And then I didn't feel like it was being articulated right. I mean, not that there's one articulation, but it's, I believe God is at work in your situation. I believe just as he's Lord over my life, he's Lord over your life. And all of the crisis and the issues going on, can you enter in and let him work in these horrific uh, circumstances? And can we pray together that God will bring healing and restoration to this? That's the gospel. But uh, I think we're afraid to do that. We're just going to go out and try to solve people's problems. And we're afraid of the exhaustion and the expense. And so we, we hide to it. We keep to ourselves. And those other things, solving people's problems is usually easier uh, than listening. At least it's more within our imagination. Wait, yeah, I can give you some money. I can help you find a place to live. I can help you. I can drive you around to the hospitals. But actually, God wants to do a lot more than that. God wants to do that probably, but he wants to do a lot more than that. This gets to my final uh, point about in here, out there, leading people in the mission. And that is we must see uh, in here and out there as seamless so that it is not in here or out there. It's actually one seamless rhythm and way of life, kind of like what you were talking about. The Sunday gathering is part of a whole rhythm of life for the rest of the week. And, a, and it's a going and a returning, but it's also a rhythm within and among. So stories of wonder are part of what we do when we gather, but we can't really do that unless we're actually extending what God's doing among us into the world. And so, um, yeah, uh, we need to get rid of the in here and out there and change people's understanding and imagination for what is church. So how do we do that? How do we stitch together if they're to be seamless, but they've been ripped apart? How do we stitch them together the in here and the out there? Do we just shut down our Sunday our Sunday morning service? Do we just cut the cut the service out, or or what? <clears throat> shut the doors. Uh, okay. You 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 had this shut her down mentality for a couple of years at Life on the Vine. We're gonna shut down this Sunday service. Yeah. Shock therapy people out of this. I, I, I can remember those days, you know, humbly uh, being an impatient idiot like I am, of, of just seeing all the focus going on Sunday morning. I mean, we were, we were developing liturgy that was accessible yet historic and formative, and people were coming, and, uh, uh, you know, we had Matt Tebby there. Remember, remember Matt Tebby? I remember Matt Tebby. Oh, yes, yeah. good friend Matt Tebby. Good friend Matt Tebby. He's Tebby still was, with us after was, all. It's not like well, he's, well, he's not dead. He's not dead or anything. Yes. But now he's in Indianapolis. But uh, you know, so he he was preaching away, and we were having a lot of people come, and it was getting to be really 
a show, a weird kind of sh cool bells, whistles, candles show. And I would get upset and say something like, we need to shut this down and do everything we do here, but do it simply in the homes and in the neighborhoods so that we can see how this is grafted into our everyday lives. And no one, well, you would never buy that. No one would ever go there. Why? Because you were afraid of the offering. Yeah. Who's going to take the offering? Oh, please. Okay, I overstated myself. I'm sorry. For sake of effect, I did that. But why, why do you think we didn't do that? Um... You have no answer. Because um, it was a harebrained idea that you just threw out every once in a while? Okay. But the, <laughs> point, but the point is... But really, how do we stitch these things together? We are always going to, when we're pastors, default to taking care of the, what's in here at the expense of out there. And when we do it, we separate the in here from out there. So um, I do have um, a approach called the three circles where I say there's... There's the gathering on Sunday. There's the gathering in the home, which I use as a, a kind of a um, dotted circle. In other words, there's entry points into the circle, but it's still formed by Christians in the neighborhood. And then there's the half circle, where we are engaged and present in places uh, uh, where we become the guest of, of those who are hurting, those who are the publicans and sinners, those who are uh, the broken. And we allow God to use us to listen and uh, bring, uh, open up space for the gospel to take shape. And my argument is we need all three circles or else the church is not the church. All three circles. We need that first circle where the presence of Christ, we become trained to be present to Christ around the table and the hearing of the of the gospel, proclaiming of the word is what the reformed guys say. Guys in, well, guys and some women. Uh, and and uh, but if we just spend time in the half circle of the suffering and the hurting and the broken, we lose all the. Uh, uh, we we lose the we we don't extend the presence of Christ. We end up doing it in our own energy, and I call that the exhaustion mode. We need all three circles, and that's all coming coming in a book I'm writing to be uh, published in 2016, June of 2016, called Faithful Presence. All right. You got more on that? Are you good? Are you in? I'm in. I'm good. In here. All right. So last time we talked about the pitch Facebook where you drop provocative sayings and uh, cause people. I don't to... drop provocative sayings. Yes, I'm just and 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 you <laughs> drop uh, obscure Zhuzhikian uh, uh, quotes also on people. Sometimes that's I do confounding. That. So that's the pitch Facebook. But also we want to spend a little time just talking about what what you're reading, what you read. Was that like a German accent or no, something? No, it's just a what you read. What okay. you reading? Question. So I've been reading this new book that I heard about from Scott Jones called "The Cruelty of Heresy." The Cruelty of Heresy. This is really interesting way of tracing the Christological and Trinitarian heresies. Hmm. Not as intellectual history. Not as oh, this is a good idea that now the church decides to defend. But really trying to look at them as ways of keeping the story of Christ straight. And that heresies are actually things that hurt us. They're cruel. Um, and so it's focused on uh, the story of salvation and how the different heresies like early docetism 
um, is a fling of the body, and it's cruel because it doesn't take embodied reality seriously, and there's no redemption of the embodied reality. So I've been reading through this book. I think it's. Uh, it's been and so, if you could, if you could give us one, so that was a pretty uh, hairy uh, kind of academic keys uh, description of the book. Could, give us, give us one. Reading. Just give us a takeaway for the uh, real life of the church. And I got one just from listening to you. Well, one, two takeaways are. Uh, is one uh, like the adoptionist heresy? Uh, we think, oh, you know, Jesus is. Nobody knows what the adoptionist heresy is, or maybe a lot of people don't. The adoptionist heresy is that Jesus was a really great guy, and that God adopted him up into the divine God into his sonship. Into yes, into his sonship. Um, and so, but he says, well, it's not just an intellectual idea, but really, it's it's the cruelty of human pride finding itself expressed in doctrinal form is that we actually want a little corner of the universe where we actually can do something significant and important and we'll be rewarded for having done things right. And the people who aren't trying or aren't gifted, who aren't excelling different things, they're actually to blame for where they are. So this adoptionist tendency is, is cruel when we affirm it uh, doctrinally. Yeah. Um, and then the flip side, like the docetism, is actually a fleeing of responsibility for the world. It's a, it's a desire to... To run away. And the Docetus heresy Dose, is. Oh, thank you very much. The Docetus heresy is that uh, Jesus only seemed to be human, that he only seemed yeah. to die, that actually maybe someone else died in his he place. He had the kind of. Uh, like kind of had a uniform on that made him look human. Yeah. And so, but the, but the, the kind of the cruelty of the heresy is that our embodied existence doesn't actually get redeemed, and that it actually becomes this. This opportunity to not love other people, this opportunity to um, not take suffering seriously, an opportunity not to care for the redemption of the world. And so it's actually long-term. It's, it's a cruel doctrine. And so uh, those are just two examples that I haven't yeah. finished it. But I, I find this interesting as because as, oftentimes, I think you run into this, is... Oh, you're orthodox in your belief. Well, that's so conservative, or that's so traditional. And we're excluding. Yeah, we're excluding people, and it's actually the heresies who are cutting edge, and they were willing to push the envelope, and they were the innovators, but they were squashed by the stuffy orthodox people. And so this book is actually saying, well, we can tell that story if we want, and that's a very modern story, is to say that yeah. heretics are the innovators who've been squashed. It's by kind of it's kind of even old and boring now that story, but and so this is a, a different take in saying no, this, you know, orthodoxy is actually protecting the joy and the life of salvation that's given to Christ and everything else is a pale imitation that ends up enslaving us. So I'm, all, I'm, I'm pretty interested in the book. I actually wrote it down uh, while you were talking, uh, The Cruelty of Heresy. Uh, but I do think that we need to understand uh, heresy and the function of the church as extending faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ, the to call it something else, the tradition or the 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 whole gospel. But at the same time, uh, there's going to be this fleshing out anytime we enter into new spaces of mission. So, uh, and, and we can't get really prickly about it. In other words, we can't turn this into a war. So, folks, when you get on Twitter and everyone's arguing over, say, the sexuality issues or the race. Reconciliation issues, or the justice issues, or the uh, the or the ways of uh, let's say our, uh, other religions and the relationship with the Christian faith, or whatever issues we're dealing with, please do not start throwing bombs at one another who are Christians.
conversations because what this does is this really defeats the purpose of conversation and dialogue that fleshes out who we are, what we believe, and extending it into these new realms. I feel like these polarizing tendencies that happen around the theological challenges that are either heretical or not work against the church being faithful to Christ. Do you have a final comment on that? Yeah, you're basically telling people, get off my Facebook page so angry. I got it. No, I wasn't saying that at all. <laughs> Anyways, let's wrap this up. All right. So, well, do you have a book? That, just a, a two, a two, one minute. What are you reading that's been uh, churning your brain around? Uh, I'm reading Becoming the Gospel by Michael Gorman. It isn't saying anything really new, at least from from what I'm reading, except I love Michael Gorman. And and it is kind of treating various epistles like First Thessalonians. And, and, and I'm reading the First Thessalonians section. I just finished it. I'm on to a new section. And, and, and he just reveals the missional character of embodied gospel that Paul is really relentlessly pursuing with his churches. I think it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Becoming the Gospel, Michael Gorman. Becoming the Gospel by Michael Gorman. Good. All right, well, that's it for today. We'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page, or just which is specifically the Theology on Mission Facebook. Um, But you can find us on Twitter and on Facebook elsewhere. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or whatever... uh, uh, app you use but until next time this is Jeff Holsclaw and D- Dave Fitch here, here. signing off from uh, the campus of Northern, Northern Seminary. Seminary and the music again is brought to you by Desta until next time